NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Hey, 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 everyone. Our National Writing Project family is back together again. Welcome to another episode of The Right Time, where we bring forward an incredible teacher leader, and sometimes their daughters, to interview a spectacular writer that young people love, L-O-V-E, to read. Today's episode is extra special for a number of reasons, because we are going on the air with Zoe Washington. Well, not Zoe Washington, but her author, and letting listeners learn the greatness of those who put words forward that teachers love to teach and where kids can't wait for the next book. But I have a question for you, Tanya. When you're not recording or running numerous national initiatives, where is the soft place you like to land? Where is your special place to unwind when you're not on the air with me? That is an excellent question, Brian. First, greetings from the West Coast, and thank you once again for continuing having this adventure with me on The Right Time, where you and I both know we're the luckiest recipients of knowledge that comes from our interviews. I'd say the soft place I like to land is by the water or in the water. A friend recently gave me a print that says, to the water I go to lose my mind and find my soul. And definitely by the near or in the ocean is my favorite place to be. Um, But a second favorite place is here, obviously, with you. And today we have such a great show. I'm so excited. We're so lucky to have educator extraordinaire Dr. Terry Frederick and her daughter Tesla Burrick, who is going to honor us, who are going to honor us in their interview with Janae Marks, um, who book page has called one of the brightest new stars of middle grade books. Brian, why don't you go ahead and introduce uh, I will. And it's our, again, yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be our first mother daughter team doing an interview. I can't wait. So it's my honor. I get to introduce today's authors get, get our author guest, excuse me, a writer who has appeared in Rose Brock's Hope Wins and who has been an instrumental author expert for so many young people across the country. Several several years ago, middle school teachers in my region in Connecticut asked me if I read any of her books and if we could get her for the writing project work we do. And lucky for us, she happens to live in the area and we've been extremely successful. Today, it is a thrill to introduce our author to the National Writing Project Network and beyond. Janae Marks is the New York Times bestselling author of middle grade novels from the desk of Zoe Washington, A Soft Place to Land, and On Air with Zoe Washington, which released on Valentine's Day of this year. Look at that. And it's back on the New York Times bestseller list once again. Woo! She has an MFA in writing for children from the new school and lives in Connecticut with her husband, daughter, and a miniature schnauzer named Cookie. So cute. <laughs> so cute. I want a picture of Cookie. <laughs> Ah, well, I'm excited to introduce Terry Frederick. She's a professor of English and a writer at Eastern Illinois University. She's also the director of the Eastern Illinois Writing Project. She and her daughter have read three of Janae Mark's novels together. And lucky for us, we get to meet her daughter as well. Tesla Burrick, Terry's daughter, is a seventh grade student at Edison Middle School in Champaign, Illinois. She enjoys theater, basketball, dance, and track. She loves Janae Marks' books. And now it's my pleasure to turn the show over to Terry, who will, oh, to Tesla, to Tesla, who's going to introduce our 
writing into the show writing prompt. We won't stop. Tessa will share the writing prompt and then we'll go straight to the interview. But listeners, if you want to stop and write to Tesla's question, you are welcome to do so. Tesla, go ahead. Create a song list that represents that represents you for someone at least one generation older or younger than you. Explain why you chose those songs. You can take a few minutes to pause the podcast to write your list and then come back. Awesome sauce. Well, we wish you the best interview and we will be back in a little while. Have a great conversation. Yeah. Enjoy. Okay. Music plays an important role in your books. In a soft place to land, Joy listens to movie soundtracks to help her feel better. In the Zoe Washington books, Zoe and her biological dad, Marcus, get to know each other by sharing songs and building a playlist. What role does music play in your life? And do you use music to help you when you're writing? Yeah, that's a great question, Tesla. Um, So I actually feel like music, I have the same kind of relationship with music that my characters do in some ways. Um, I also like listening to music, not necessarily movie soundtracks, but I do listen to a lot of Broadway soundtracks um, and other kinds of music to feel better. So when I'm in a bad mood or I'm having a tough day, I can put on a song that I really love and sing along to it and I will just feel so much better. Um, I also feel like it's a way that I connect to, you know, maybe memories with my family, maybe, you know, not exactly the same way that Zoe and her biological dad shares swap songs, but more that, you know, there are certain songs that will automatically bring me back to like the day I got married or, you know, when my daughter was really young and we would play these songs all the time and things like that. So I feel like, you know, I definitely find music entertaining, but it does also have that emotional connection for me, like these two characters. And I do like listening to music when I'm writing. I tend to listen to more ambient music, like music without lyrics. And actually that's kind of what um, got me inspired to write about joy liking music liking music soundtracks because a lot of those you put in a playlist or you go on Spotify or something and you look for instrumental music a lot of times movie soundtracks will pop up so that kind of helped inspire me to want to write about that but yeah I do like writing to those kinds of music where you know I don't have to be too distracted but it's something nice in the background I like that when I'm grading papers I like to listen to drum lines and like yeah that's a good one <laughs> I can't have words but I need something to keep me. Yeah, it's nice to have something in the background to kind of keep you focused. There's actually a playlist on Spotify called Deep Focus that I like because it's specifically music that's instrumental that I guess really helps you focus and I feel like it works. Okay. Okay. One of the reasons I really like your books is because the main characters are Black girls my own age and they have relatable problems. Why do you like to write about Black girls who are in middle school? Yeah, so I I feel like I'm writing books that I wish I had had when I was a black girl in middle school. Um, you know, I always I was a big reader as a kid, um, but looking back, I don't think I really read many, if any, books, at least not for this age group, that featured girls that look like me as the main characters. Um, you know, they might be a side character, they might be there, you know, only every once in a while on the story. But I want, you know, I think as a kid, I didn't really think too much about it because there wasn't a ton of diversity in books. But now as an adult, I look back and think about the impact it would have had on me to see somebody who was like me. So that's just a big reason why I choose to now write about girls that look like me. And I can also kind of draw from my own experiences in middle, in middle school in writing these stories too. Nice. So I have this question and it comes to me from having my office next to our um, children's middle grades and YA lit teacher and he so he teaches those as different courses and so I wondered when you think of a middle grades book what do you think makes a book a middle grades book and how do you think that's different from either children's lit or from YA lit 
Yeah. I mean, well, first and foremost, I think a lot of it has to do with the age of the character. You know, middle grade books usually feature characters somewhere around like 10 through 12, maybe 13. Obviously, it can go all the way up to 14 because Zoe in the second book is 14. But so part of it is just the age of the character. But then I think the other part of it is the perspective that they have in, of the world. Um, you know, they're still kind of they're kind of in this very in-between stage of their lives. Like they're no longer in elementary school where they're relying so heavily on their parents and, you know, and their lives feel very much, you know, based on what their parents are kind of doing with them and, or versus high school where they're super independent and they probably have nothing to do with their parents and family at home life as much, you know, middle school, it's kind of a mix of both. Like you start to have a little bit more independence. Maybe you can start leaving the house on your own, with your friends, but you still have to rely on your parents for a lot. So I think there's, that also affects their, their vision of, you know, kind of their mindset. I think that there's a lot of, um, I, in writing, they, I've heard this where if you're writing for middle grade, the perspective is more about like how you fit into your family, how you fit into school. You know, a lot of stories in middle grade cover those kinds of themes, like family themes, friendship themes, school, things going on at school, where I think when you get younger and older, um, it just it changes. Um, and I think the other thing that's really interesting about middle grade is that kids are experiencing a lot of firsts, you know, like, you know, there might be a first crush, like as you kind of see in the second Zoe book. Um, there might be first, you know, changing friendships might happen for the first time. Maybe you were very consistent with your friends in elementary school and all of a sudden now in middle school, that's changing for the first time in your life. You have to navigate that. So I think a lot of it just has to do with the perspective. Like, where is this kid mindset, you know, and does that have to help them? Because, of course, there are adult books that feature kids that are teens and kids. But what makes it an adult book is that it's the, you know, the perspective of the narrator is much more grown up. You know, I think there's they're kind of going into deeper, more mature themes. While I think in middle school, there's still a lot of kids, kid fun stuff happening. It's not it, if you're going to have a serious book like mine, you're still going to have to weave in some fun stuff because I think kids still want to be entertained for that age group. Thanks. Thanks. Um, I also have another question. It's what books do you like to read? You were in middle school and what books do you like to read now? So when I was in middle school, um, I my favorite book series at that time or elementary school to middle school was the Babysitter's Club series. I, in general, just really liked contemporary realistic fiction. Um, So those kind of stories and, you know, they're still around to this day. So obviously they still resonate. Um, Those kind of stories really appealed to me. Um, so I, I also read like Nancy Drew, I remember, which is interesting because I never really thought I would write a mystery, but now that I look back, I'm like, oh, I did used to like those books. Um, and you know, so yeah, I think I was drawn more toward contemporary realistic, but the thing is, is like when I was a kid, um, in middle school in the nineties, like there weren't a lot of middle grade books on the shelves. Like it was like, you kind of had children's books and then it kind of just like jumped ahead. I don't know. I felt like there wasn't as much. So nowadays there's so many more. And that is why I can say for now, what I like to read, I do read a lot of middle grade, of course, because it helps me as a writer, but also because it's really, I really enjoy it. Um, I write, you know, I like reading all the, you know, age range of children's books. I do read adult books too, but I'm definitely more picky when it comes to it. Um, my favorite is definitely kid lit. Um, but I would say I like contemporary fiction. I like mysteries or thrillers when it comes to some of the older stuff that could be fun. Um, but yeah, I think contemporary is always my go-to, but I'll definitely read outside of that if I get a good recommendation. Oh, and then how do they influence my writing? I would say, of course, reading current middle grade books, like helps me learn, um, how to be a better writer. You can learn so much from reading other books. Um, you know, I feel like I'm always still learning from reading other published books, but I think they also kind of help me see, um, what's possible, like with the Zoe Washington books, you know, reading other books that came before mine that covered some of these tough topics helped me realize that I could write one too, that it's okay for this age group to talk about some of these more difficult themes. So I think it kind of inspired me. 
In the first Zoe Washington book, Zoe's dad, Marcus, has been in jail Zoe's whole life for a crime he didn't commit. In the second book, he has been exonerated. But life is hard because he spent so many years in prison. Why did you want to write about a girl whose dad was in prison? Yeah, so the first book was actually inspired because I listened to a podcast several years ago that actually talked about a wrongful conviction. Any grownups might have heard of the podcast Serial. Um, a few years ago, um, the first season told the story of a man who was possibly wrongfully convicted of a crime. And, you know, kind of just went into a lot of the details of the case and things like that. And I was just sort of, I think a lot of people who were listening to that podcast were really intrigued by this case, but I also just started thinking about it you know, like, wow, like that sounds like such a hard thing to deal with. Not only that, but what is it like for the family? Like, you know, they don't always interview the family in these kinds of documentaries and podcasts. So I started thinking about it from that point of view. Like, what would it be like? to be the kid of somebody who's in this position of possibly being wrongfully convicted. So that's kind of how I started formulating the idea of Zoe. Um, And in terms of having it be her dad who was in prison, as I was doing research um, on this issue of wrongful convictions in our country, um, I found the website, The Innocence Project, which is mentioned in the book, and they help overturn these cases. And one of the things, you know, they have all this data around like who are the kinds of people that this ends up happening to majority of the time and 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 it turns out which wasn't super surprising to me that most of the time it's men of color specifically um black men and so it sort of made sense to me especially being a black person myself to kind of try to t- tell that angle of the story to to show how race does play a part in it so it kind of made sense to me that it should be the dad because it seems like when i was reading a lot of other case studies it's mostly men um so i thought that would be the right way to go and then yeah and i and i i like writing about main characters that are girls so it kind of just it made sense a father-daughter relationship but that was kind of how i started to um to develop that and as for the second book i didn't even know i was going to write a sequel at first so i didn't really think that far ahead as to what life might be like after but once i decided to write the sequel i realized it was a good opportunity to share that perspective because it is tough and and it also would give me a chance to show Zoe and Marcus's relationship, you know, once he was out. So yeah, that kind of went from there. But that was the first initial, you know, inspiration was that podcast. And I thought it was interesting in the second book because then we get to meet Hannah, whose mom is in prison and whose mom isn't wrongfully convicted. And Hannah's grappling with that, that, you know. Yeah, I purposely wanted to put that in because I I realized um that, you know, I was only kind of sharing one perspective with showing Zoe and her dad, you know, of course, not everybody is wrongfully convicted. And, you know, who has a parent in prison, their parent might actually have done something wrong to get them there. And so I kind of wanted to show that there are other people that there are different kinds of ways that this kind of, you know, presents itself in people's families. Um, And it also gives Zoe a chance to kind of really grapple with how she feels about, you know, previously incarcerated people and like change some of her biases over the course of the book. And, you know, I think a lot of readers, even myself, you know, like there's these biases you have, you don't realize, and then you kind of have to maybe work through it. So I think she kind of gets a chance to work through it with the help of Hannah in a way by hearing her story. So speaking of parents, um, and you talked about this a little bit when you talked about a, a hallmark of middle grades book being that there's this um, negotiation with parents and, and mm-hmm. relationships. And so one of the things that I'm a parent reading these books with my middle schooler, I find really interesting is that the parents are very present in your books and they're supportive, um, but they're not always right. <laughs> so in the first Zoe book, Zoe's mom doesn't think that Zoe should be in contact with Marcus while he's in prison and in fact has hidden the letters um, that's not a spoiler. It happened at the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. And then in A Soft Place to Land, Joy's mom and dad, um, you know, they've just moved into an apartment and Joy and her sister are struggling because 
um, their parents just can't stop fighting and they can't keep the kids from overhearing it or being drawn into it. Um, so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you structure the relationship between parents and kids in your book. Yeah, so I think the one thing I did want to do is make sure that I was showing supportive family structures but I also didn't necessarily supportive and you know and positive doesn't necessarily always mean that everything is perfect all the time, right? So, and I also so I think I, I kind of wanted to show that you know even if this is overall supportive family dynamic, you know, with, with um, Zoe and her stepdad and mom, and then with Joy and her parents, um, that you know again like that sometimes parents make mistakes, and I think like in middle school that's when kids maybe start to realize that their parents you know aren't perfect, that they're not they're people who are flawed just like anybody else, and not just parents or not you know that they actually have other things going on that might be the start of them starting to see that in some people and some parents um so yeah I think I just kind of wanted to play around with that um I thought it would be interesting to have Zoe's mom kind of be that person who when you read the book you're like is she doing the right thing or is she not like it's kind of like a debate like certain people might say hey like she was you know she is doing the right thing and I think um I don't know I just I, I think it's interesting to show that parents aren't always perfect and that they're even if they're trying to do the best they can like sometimes they do make mistakes or sometimes they don't have the right perspective and I think that's just that to me feels authentic I feel like that's true for you know when I think back at my relationship with my parents or you know me as a parent now you know like things happen so I don't know I just felt like that's the best way to show authentic family is to show that your parents aren't always perfect and that they're not always doing they don't always know how to do the right thing they're trying their best but they don't always make the right choices and they might have to like figure it out later and pivot and and, you know, and and come back and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done, you know, and maybe even apologize. So they're human, just like, you know, everybody else. <laughs> so and then the next question is a fun question. So Zoe is a baker. What's your favorite thing to bake? This is a fun question because she's a baker, but I am not a huge baker. <laughs> But, um, which is surprising, but really it's because I like watching those baking competition shows that I got into, I, like watching a lot of people bake kind of inspire me to want to write about somebody who bakes. But I would say, um, you know, I would probably say the thing that I probably can bake the best is cupcakes, although, because it's not that hard. It's pretty straightforward to follow instructions, even for from scratch um, cupcakes. But the problem, the, the part that I struggle with is the decorating. Like I do not know how to like do the cool icing, you know, the way that a real baker would. Um, but I would say earlier on in the pandemic when everybody else, everybody around us was all, you know, people were like, I'm going to start baking bread and I'm going to start baking things. I didn't start baking bread, but I did decide to start making muffins. And I made these really good banana chocolate chip muffins that I became obsessed with. And I made them every week. And, you know, it was, it was, they were so good. And I haven't actually made them in a while because I had to kind of say, all right, it's time to stop making these. But um, I really love those. And yeah, I'd probably say chocolate chocolate cupcakes. I have a good recipe for that too. Again, muffins, cupcakes are kind of the same thing. <laughs> it's like the same concept. Maybe cookies is another favorite because that's also not that hard. <laughs> so have you ever really made the Fruit Loop cupcakes? I did actually. So I did make them. Um, that also wasn't that hard, honestly, because you really are just like getting the cereal, steeping the milk, and then replacing that. I did put the recipe on my website, but I did actually make them myself and they came out really good. So if anybody does want to bake them, the recipe's on my website. <laughs> Um, yeah, Tess is a big baker. Actually, we first started reading your first book, not for the storyline with Zoe and Marcus, but because she was a baker. And so we snatched the book up 
Yeah, I think that's what I'm like what I meant by earlier. I think it's good to have these other things in in middle grade stories that are just fun, you know, because that could be another avenue in, um, you know, especially if somebody doesn't love to read. Maybe that'll be the thing that gets them excited is that they have a hobby in common with the characters. So, yeah, I think that's one of the most fun parts is figuring out. I know this plays into one of your future questions, but like figuring out what they might be into is like a fun part of planning a book for me. Yeah, and I think that that does go right into the next question because I think one of the things that strikes me when I read your books is how almost each each of the um, teens or tweens has a big creative outlet. So Joy play, wants to play the piano and she wants to compose her own movie scores. She's got friends that are filmmakers or they're LARPers who make their own costumes, they're artists. Zoe, we were talking about, creates her own recipes and then starts a podcast. So I wondered um, why it was really important for you to show teens and tweens having those big creative outlets. So, yeah, I think the reason why it's important to me is because I was that teen and tween with big creative outlets. You know, I saw, you know, um, Tesla, you said earlier in the bio earlier, it said that you're also into theater and dance. Like those are the kind of things I was really into when I was in middle and high school. Um, I actually thought when I was in middle school that I wanted to be on Broadway. And so when I was in high school, I took a lot of, you know, did, plays and then took some dance and singing lessons and you know classes and things like that um and I you know I think it was so fun and it just like had such a big um impact on me as a kid even though in the end I didn't end up doing that I kind of changed my mind once I got to college you know it was just still so fun to have these things that were filling up my time that brought me so much joy in between you know homework and navigating school and just all the stuff that could be stressful it was like not only was it kind of an escape from all that, but it was just so fun. And I honestly, like, I look back and wish that I had the time to do all those kind of extracurriculars that I used to be able to do. Like, I wish, like, I could still do these extracurriculars because they were the best. So I love having um, my characters have some sort of interest, even if it's not, cute. like, obviously Zoe's interests are very grand. <laughs> I think with Joy and her friends, it's a little bit more, you know, like, Maybe a typical kid might relate more to those. Um, but no, I think either, whether it's big or small, I think it's great for kids to have an outlet. And I think, um, like you said, a lot of kids, that might be the way that they relate to the characters is like just thinking about what their outlet might be compared to theirs. Um, but yeah, no, I just, I just, that was a big part of my middle school years. So that's why I continue to include them. Yeah, just a lot of pop-up question from my mind is, what was your favorite like show or musical that you were in when you were in middle school or high school? Oh, so... I actually, um, well, okay. So I did, I did theater at my high school. I didn't kind of start doing theater until high school. Um, I took dance in middle school, but, um, we, the way that it worked in my high school was that it was like, they would let everybody be in every show. So it was always like so many people on stage and the, and the people who got the leads were always like the seniors. So I kind of pivoted away from high school theater only after two, like by the time I was a junior, because I felt like I wasn't, it was just too crowded. So I think we did like the Wizard of Oz and I was like one of the munchkins. And like, you know, it was like fun to be part of it, but it was just so, these were such big shows. Um, so instead, my junior and senior years, I actually ended up um, doing like reg- kind of like a smaller theater program. Like I took acting classes at this place called in um, New York City. I grew up right outside of New York City. So my mom actually was willing to drive me into the city on Saturdays to take classes at the Harlem School of the Arts. And they're still around today. And I could just take, you can kind of show up in like the, on a Saturday, they would have a bunch of back-to-back classes you can come to. So I would take like you know, there was like a singing one, there was like different acting ones. And I got to do like some smaller play with them. I can't even remember the name anymore, but it was super fun because only five of us in the show. Um, That was probably my favorite thing. It was like a smaller, not a musical. It was just like a play, but 
super fun. And we also did like a cabaret show where we all kind of sang different songs. I remember I sang a song from Once on This Island um, from that for that. And that was super fun. I feel like that experience of going to that place to take classes was so fun. Um, and then I would say in college, I did some more theater and I would probably say my favorite show. I only did a couple shows in college, but my favorite one was the musical Hair, which I did my senior year and just had the best time. Not only just being in the show, but just, you know, connecting with the other people in the play. I think that's the best part about theater too, is the way that it's a community. And I think the kid lit community kind of reminds me of that too. Like everybody kind of just gets along and really likes each other, wants to support each other. And I felt the same way with the theater community. So I feel like, you know, even though I'm not doing theater anymore, I still feel like that same sense of community in what I'm doing now. So, so yeah, um, definitely love seeing musicals on, you know, in my free time, whenever I can, um, just for fun nowadays. <laughs> oh, and one last thing, if anybody is familiar with musicals, you might know that A Soft Place to Land is, a, is the name of a song in the Waitress musical. And I actually was kind of inspired by that because I was listening to that soundtrack a lot when I was writing the book. <laughs> so. Okay. Uh, my last question is, what advice do you have do you have for people who want to become a writer like you? Yeah, so I would say, you know, I always kind of say three things. Number one, write as much as you can. Obviously, that's kind of the obvious thing. But I think, you know, I think, you know, even young writers who might feel intimidated by the idea of writing a whole novel don't necessarily have to start with that. You could start with a short story. You could start with journals. I didn't know I wanted to be an author really until I was in college, but my whole life, I always wrote diaries and journals and I would write letters to my friends, you know, at camp and things like that. And anytime there was a creative writing assignment, I always enjoyed doing those. So just write as much as you can, whatever it is. Some people get their start with fan fiction just because it's easier to take some existing characters that you already know from other stories and just kind of put them in so somebody could write like a Zoe and Trevor fan fiction story, you know, and like just use that as a way to like just practice writing essentially because the more you write, the better you'll get. And then um, lastly, oh, the other two things. So read as much as you can because um, reading is how you learn about storytelling. Um, and then finally, uh, when you do have something finished and I encourage you to try to finish something, Find somebody you can share it with so you can get feedback because revision is also such a big part of being an author. So I think getting used to how to revise and, you know, make changes based on feedback is really good to know. Well, that was a great conversation. And <laughs> I think I have a way to answer Tesla's prompt with a comment that Janae made. You ready for this? On my soundtrack, I would want... When the moon is in the seventh house and That's Jupiter <laughs> aligns with Mars, then peace will guide the planet and love will steal the stars. This is the dawning. So Age of Aquarius needs to be on yeah. a soundtrack. It's amazing. But also what needs to be on Tesla's soundtrack is in five years when she's a senior and she has to do a college essay application, a really killer first sentence could be, when I was in seventh grade, I interviewed Janae Marks, a, a nationally acclaimed <laughs> author. What a great sentence. I want to read the rest of that. So this is this might be a, a, a life-changing maneuver in your life. Awesome interview. Thank you. It was spectacular. Tanya. Thank you. Amazing. And it's really funny because I think I would pick songs from the soundtrack of Waitress to explain my my life to a younger person. Wow. That's awesome. So, <laughs> Excellent. Um, before we say our thank yous and goodbyes, uh, is it Terry or Tesla who's taking it's us Terry out? This time. All yeah. right. So here's our final prompt. Uh, in a soft place to land, Joy writes poems and messages back and forth on a wall with an unknown friend. Write an inspiring message or poem that you could leave on a wall to encourage a stranger. 
I love that. That is a song. that is a great prompt. I I loved both of these prompts very much. So thank you, Terry and Tesla, for that and for such a great interview. Uh, Janae, I also want to thank you. I know you've done a lot of work with Brian's Writing Project, and it's so great to bring your voice to our whole national network. Um, it's This was a really um, fun and inspiring interview, and I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. And yeah, a no, special thank shout you out to the, the middle school <laughs> teachers out there, middle school <laughs> teachers, middle school writers, middle school students. You know, they're in the middle and they've been neglected too long. And I am so thankful that writers like Janae Marks are putting the books on the shelves that our kids have always needed. They just haven't been there. So. Yeah, I totally <laughs> agree. Um, my job is also to um, I to say, to be clear, I've said thank you, Tesla. You are amazing. Thank you, Terry. Really appreciate you both being here. Thank you, Janae. And my final thank you, as always, to the listeners of our show. We wouldn't be making right times if there weren't an audience for them. And we really appreciate you. Um, If you want to make sure you never miss an episode of The Right Time or other great um, resources from The Writing Project, you should go to the nwp.org and sign up for our newsletter where we'll announce upcoming events. Um, or join our community of teachers who share great ideas and great resources um, at thestudio.nwp.org. And you can follow our podcast um, on NWP Radio. Thank you so much, everybody. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.